Now introducing the Minor Wisdom Trio! Minor Wisdom! What's up? How's it going? You doing alright? Good. That's great. This week I've got Denise Larson on. D-Nice. Denise Larson is someone that's been around for some time. She'll get into her background and everything uh, as the podcast unfolds. Um, And it's uh, quite a background. It's really fun. Uh, I don't understand why my music abruptly ends. Uh, I've got a fade on it and everything. I don't like it. Anyway... If anybody's smarter with GarageBand than I, then uh, let me know, you know what I'm saying? Also, how do I get my voice to sound less monotone? That'd be really helpful, too, if you could help me out. So, uh, Denise is somebody that I've wanted to get on for quite some time, finally, uh, and we had tried to get on uh, and do this a while back, but, you know, the stars just didn't align. That's how it is with a lot of my guests, and finally, you know, they give in. They finally, the relentless pursuit done by Blake Miner to get you on the podcast. And I finally won. I win. Uh, speaking of winning, uh, as I record this, it is Saturday morning, and TCU versus Georgia. I know I've got a lot of football fans that listen, tons of football fans, because football and theater are life. Uh, but TCU and Georgia play on Monday. I was heavily rooting for Michigan. I've been a Michigan fan for more than half my life. Uh, that was a touchdown. They should have won. Alas, here we are. TCU versus Georgia. I'll root for TCU just because they're the Texas team, I guess. But I really couldn't care less. I could, yeah, I couldn't care less. If I could care less, there, there's room for caring less. So I couldn't care less if, if either whichever team wins. I don't really care. It'd be cool to see a repeat. It'd also be cool to see TCU win because uh, I like purple as well. Uh some uh, other news, uh, DeMar Hamlin, uh, as I sit here again, as I record, uh, getting better. For those of you that have no idea what I'm talking about, come out from under your rock. Uh, but that was crazy to watch, um, and I'm so glad that he is doing better. Again, not my demographic, but I just thought I'd mention it. Uh, the Texas Tech Directors page is hopping. It's a hot page, man, and I love what Mel has been doing to keep people active on there, and she's real big on make sure you, like, show off your work, man. Like, dude, like, we work really hard on some of this stuff, and some people are are pretty modest. Me being one of them, she kind of made me come out of my shell when it comes to, you know, showing off what you do. You should be proud of what you're doing. Uh, I mean, there are projects that you are most definitely not proud of, so maybe don't show those off, but you know, take the time to like throw some pictures up there, some progress pictures and the what's happening Wednesdays or whatever, uh, she has deemed them. Those kind of things are, are much needed to keep kind of our sanity going so that we know that we're all literally, thank you, high school musical. We are all in this together. What team? That's right. Wildcats. Uh, so that page is up and make sure that if you are inviting people that you let them know, uh, cause there are a couple people in the queue as far as who, uh, needs to be approved. But, um, we don't know Mel between Mel and I, we don't know everybody. I know a lot of people. She knows a lot of people. We don't know everybody. So if you're like some random tech director or you're not even, (laughs) I I shouldn't hit that. (laughs) 
um, you're some random tech director at some school or you're a librarian that does tech, you know, like answer the questions because we need to know who you is. So uh, make sure you're doing that. There was a super tragic story, <clears throat> very disturbing, this past week of a six-year-old in Virginia that shot his teacher uh, intentionally, brought a gun into school. And, you know, normally I don't talk about this kind of stuff on the podcast, but my my youngest daughter's six, and I can't even imagine. I mean, the, the kid had uh, apparently no... I mean, how do you question a six-year-old, right? No ulterior motive to hurt anybody else, according to the kid. But, like, uh, they just shot their teacher? I mean, what? What? That's insane. Absolutely insane. And I don't even know how you police that. I mean, that's that's an example of bad parenting. You can't tell me otherwise. Uh, that's just horrible. So uh, maybe not parenting, grandparenting, uncling, and anting, I don't know, but just adults just effing up big time and I can't I can't even imagine that so um I, my you know prayers and thoughts thoughts and prayers all that good stuff goes out to the teacher who apparently is recovering but still has still is in critical condition so just really sad crap uh going on not to transition to something positive but uh t-tech is this week it's uh we're going up Wednesday as some people will be there Wednesday you can't you can't check in till Thursday, but you can definitely hang out Wednesday night and, uh, you know, start the, start the extravaganza. Uh, but Thursday is when it all officially kicks off. Uh, we start with Concord Theatricals at 10 o'clock and then uh, DPS at 11. Then we get some lunch and then workshops, boom, one o'clock. If you did not sign up, <clears throat> I'd love to know why, uh, why you have not signed up. I know that musicals are happening Somebody said it's UIL season. Not yet. Not yet. Not in my opinion. Not yet. Um, but uh, there, th- you know, TETA, back when it was TETA, used to be in January. And it and it attracted one, 2,000 educators uh, to TETA. So the excuse of my musicals this week or UIL season or whatever seems to be just an excuse uh seems to be just that now i know if you're opening a musical like if this is your tech week or or coming up uh, you know that i get but where was your musical before uh why is it now this week i just just curious it's not an accusatory tone i don't mean it to sound that way but i'd love to know why more people aren't attending t-tech we do not want a thousand people there let me just be very clear about that (laughs) we want it to be intimate we like the intimacy uh, we don't want uh, 25 workshop rooms going at once. <clears throat> we we like what we have, the style, the design, but um, we'd love to see a few more faces uh, and we'd love to not hear excuses. Or maybe I'm just speaking for myself. I shouldn't say we. I would love to not hear excuses um, and just get your booty on the bus and get to T-Tech. So uh, it is this week. Next week, I'll report back on how it went. Um, I'll have to record late for that that episode but uh super excited about that excited about what we're offering the different uh it's a wide variety lots of tech obviously if i'm planning it but it's going to be a heck of a good time and i'm excited to see everyone ladies and gentlemen i hope you enjoy this week's podcast interview with denise larson follow me on facebook friend me whatever twitter buy a shirt that'd be awesome rate me rate me with a t have a great week everybody
I was a kid who had a lot of trouble. Um, I was uh, had very severe depression. Um, and uh, my mom saw that. And, you know, she started by taking me to therapists, which is what you did in the 70s. I guess that, you know, therapy was all the rage. And that wasn't really addressing the problem. And it just so happens my stepdad was in the Air Force. And they had certain programs available. It was a Bergstrom Air Force Base. And um, they had uh, a youth club. And in that youth club, not only did they host dances and they had games and things, but they had this fantastic woman there by the name of Beth Kabersky. And she was a dance teacher, but she also uh, was a theater instructor. And so she offered these workshops for the military kids. And, um, you know, we, my, my stepdad was, uh, he was a staff sergeant, which really meant, especially living on the military base, there was a lot of money. Um, and he also had uh, child support. He was, you know, uh, paying for his other family because we were his second family. And um, so my mom, you know, decided that uh, it would be a great thing for me to take dance. And that may help me. I was one of her dreams. She loved movies and so did my grandmother. And that's kind of where I got my love of old movies and my obsession with film, uh, which will come back later, by the way. And uh, so she wanted uh, to try it. And so I took this dance class. It was ballet. And I had this idea in my head as a kid. I was going to be this fantastic ballerina. And, um, you know, we took that year of ballet and it all culminated. And again, this is Beth Kabersky. She would do these fantastic shows where she would have all of her um, her dancers. She taught tap and ballet and modern and jazz, everything you could possibly think of. And um, she would pick a show, which would be totally illegal today, uh, like Mary Poppins or The Hobbit. And um, she would uh, write her own script. And then she would put all, she would uh, create all these like dance numbers. So you would have uh, like in The Hobbit, the tap dancing trolls. And in Mary Poppins, I was part of a company of dancing pigs in the uh, barnyard. And we had these tech, these like, you know, giant uh, tutus and everything. <laughs> and uh, my mom, she saw the show and she said, you know, I thought she did a really good job, but maybe we should look into some acting next year. And I said, okay. And um, later on, she told me, she said, Denise, honey, um, I, I loved watching you on stage, but you were a terrible dancer. And I knew we needed to find something else, but I didn't want to break your heart. And I knew you had found something you liked. And and it was, that was the beginning of uh, how I dealt with anxiety, how I found um, kind of a passion that never went away was it started with that that horrible dance, you know, ballet dancing pig. Where did that come from? I don't know why, but she, you know, she had a place for everyone in that company. And so she, you know, the next year I did a little theater and I still did some dance. I tried tap. I thought maybe I'd be better at tap. And so did my mom. Unfortunately, I was not, uh, but I was okay at the acting. So that that worked out okay. And then um, we were there uh, at Berkshire for about four years. We moved overseas and um, we, they didn't have like military schools overseas are a different, uh, they have different types of classes. It's a whole new world. I mean, it, it really is. It's, and I've never experienced anything educationally like that since then. And we had this, our teacher, his name was Mr. Rossi. He was very eccentric. Sorry, it's my chihuahuas. Uh, uh, he was very eccentric. He didn't believe in bathing. 
Um, but he loved theater. He loved art. And he smoked like, I know he smoked like 20 packs of cigarettes a day. And he had this cloud. Um, but um, he approached a couple of us and he said, hey, would you guys like to do some theater? And so we started doing theater with him. And um, that continued. Then when I came back to the States, um, you know, because this was before middle school actually had any kind of theater program. And typically you didn't get to do theater until high school. So it was, um, you know, about trying to find ways to find opportunities for theater. So we returned from overseas. We ended up living in Lexington, Texas. Okay, I don't know if you're familiar with Lexington. Well, probably not because it's a little tiny town in the middle of nowhere. So between Rockdale and Giddings, Texas, which probably still doesn't help you much. Uh, it's close to Brenham, about an hour away from Brenham. And, um, you know, we had the middle school didn't have theater. And so I had to wait to do, uh, you know, high school theater. And um, then I, I did that for, you know, well, for a few years anyway. Um, and it was, uh, you know, just something that carried on. Now, I'm going to confess something to you that a lot of people don't know about me. All right. And that is I actually quit school when I was 16 years old. Um, I got married. And for almost a year, I basically, you know, did not. I mean, I didn't go back to school. Um, I was kind of just, you know, living through a, mis a mistake I made as a young person and, um, ended up going back to school, back to high school. And about that time, that's when I found out that I was expecting my first child. So I was 17 and a half years old. I was pregnant and, um, but I wanted to finish school and, because of my age, I wasn't really, and because of my responsibilities, I wasn't able to participate in one act play. So the wonderful teacher I had at that time, Mr. Spivey, who was actually a history teacher, and he ended up um, having to do a one act play, which happens in small schools a lot. Um, he said, hey, why don't you do the costumes since you can't participate in the plays? And I said, oh, okay, because I just wanted to participate so bad that I was willing to do anything. Um, and so I, you know, started doing costumes for him. I would pull things out of the, this attic we had. There's about 20 yards of rat eaten burlap and some graduation gowns. And um, we did uh, Persephone. And I built all these crazy uh, dead people, you know, the chorus costumes. And so I did that until I graduated. And actually he was the one who, um, introduced me to Lou Lindsay, who gave me a scholarship for my first two years uh, for uh, theater, first at Beeville, when he was at Beeville, and then um, at McLennan Community College. And I continued to do costuming um, for a while. It's a very long story, Blake. Are you sure you want to hear no, all this? No, this is perfect. <laughs> yes. Okay. This oh, I a, did forget. This so is what it's for. <laughs> I, I jumped into Mr. Spivey, but I want to tell you about my first theater teacher, Mrs. Wood. Okay. Okay. Mrs. Wood had a birth defect, and this is not for humor. It's just she used it, though, for humor. She only had half an arm on one arm, and she had a prosthetic. And she would, and I love this woman. And, she, you know, she was just fantastic. She was very disappointed in me, by the way, when I quit theater to get married, as you can imagine, uh, because she had plans for me, apparently. Uh, but anyway, she used to take off her arm and she would scratch her back with it in class. And then sometimes she would take the arm and put it on her podium and you would just sit there. And I just love this woman so much. I'm going to write a play about her someday. Um, and uh, she just had this fantastic personality. 
And um, just, I don't know. I, like I said, I've been blessed with my really great teachers. Mr. Spidey for trying to find a way for me to attend college because he knew as a single parent, the the chances were that I probably wouldn't be able to. Um, and then, you know, um, Lou, Lindsay, who, because he gave me the scholarships and, uh, you know, and continued that love of costuming, that's what eventually got me to Texas State where I got to work with Sheila Hargett and Daniel Hannon, who, you know, I don't know if you've heard of Daniel, Daniel Hannon, but he was like one yeah. of the most wonderful scene designers to, you know, uh, ever live in the state of Texas. I mean, just fantastic artists. Um, so I just teachers, teachers, teachers. Um, and I, I got my undergrad at Texas State. And then I got my MA at Texas State and was emphasis in costuming. I did that for about a year and a half, and I found out that in the state of Texas, and if you had children, it was very difficult to make a living and be a good parent. <laughs> You're not going to be able to do both. And so I, I did a stint at Midland Community Theater, and I was a resident costume designer. And I finally just, uh, I just remembered I was having to drag both my kids to the theater. And it was midnight. And my kids are, you know, sitting there taking naps while I'm trying to finish up. And I, I can't, I, I just thought to myself, I can't do this anymore. I, I What am I doing to my kids? I mean, I love theater, but they, you know, I have to take care of them in a different way. And so I decided again to go back to school. I feel like I spent most of my life in college. Um, went back to school to get, um, you know, a teaching certificate. You know, so I went ahead, I did the education courses got emergency certified. Um, then I ended up teaching at a Burbank High School in uh, South San Antonio, which was, again, I, so blessed, had so many fantastic places that like nurtured, but allowed me to nurture. And, um, you know, everything, I hate that cliche, but it's true. Everything happens for a reason. And especially as I'm getting older, I'm looking back and I'm going, man, this was connected to this, was connected to this. Um, you know, like Beth Kaberski found out years later when I was looking at a program, she was a student at Texas State and she borrowed off her lighting and uh, got assistance from Texas State at that time for her shows. But I didn't find that out until like 25 or 30 years later. I just think that's so bizarre how things are connected. Um, let's see. So that puts me at, um, you know, Burbank yeah. then. Um, and that was so wonderful. I just, I had great parent support. I had a wonderful principal who gave me a piece of advice, by the way, that um, served me well later. Um, he was in a second year of like, well, I was in my second year. He was about to retire. And um, I had a job opportunity at uh, Roosevelt which is a Northeast independent school district. And I just really felt bad. I was going to have to, I, I knew I needed to talk to him. And I, I sat down with him and I said, um, Principal Longoria, I, I've got a job opportunity. I really, you know, it's going to be closer to my home and I'd really like to take it. And I know you're retiring. And he said, look, Denise, I'm going to tell you one thing. He said, whenever um, you get a new administrator, you need to think about the possibility. You may just need to go ahead and go to a new school because you're starting all over again. And at first I thought, oh, that's terrible. I mean, what if you've invested this time? And, you know, but it gave me the, he basically gave me permission and the blessing to go. And then, you know, like I said, everything happens for a reason. 
years later, I would find out those words that he said to me are so true. Um, when you work with a group of people, well, when you work with someone who I mean, initially hires you, um, you have a relationship with them. They see your work consistently. They support you. And Principal Longoria was very supportive. Um, this was back when at Burbank, we didn't really have a theater budget. So the only money we had was money we raised. So we would do a variety show in the fall. So we had money to do one act play and other things. Okay. Um, but like after that first year, he started, uh, this also when they still had cons uh, like uh, soda machines and uh, vending machines on uh, campuses. And so what he did to help us out is he started giving us money, which I know was supposed to probably be for the campus fund, but he started giving us money for our program. And, um, you know, just just very blessed that he supported uh, me during that time. And I realize I'm backtracking and I apologize. It's not linear. It's this um, is your story. You're allowed. Okay. <laughs> uh, so anyway, he gave me that word of advice and I said, okay, okay. And so I went ahead, went to Roosevelt. Um, and my first principal, again, ended up having three different principals there, by the way. And this is where those words came back to haunt me. First principal was great, very supportive. Um, you know, it's funny when administrators see that you're really, really excited and that you're very committed. Sometimes, it doesn't always work, by the way, sometimes they get excited too. And they'll do things and they'll help you in different ways. Now, that doesn't always work. <laughs> I wish it did. Um, but, uh, you know, for three or four years, man, he was the, the principal it was fantastic. And then we got the next one. And then unfortunately the second principal, which I'm not going to say his name, uh, but, uh, he will live forever in my mind in infamy. Uh, but I, that's when things started kind of, um, becoming more difficult. I'll give you a good example. Um, we were doing theater games uh, in one of my theater one classes, and he came in to observe me, and he said, "What are you doing?" And I explained, you know, we're hey, we're you know, we're doing theater games. This really helps us, um, you know, towards preparing for acting. It helps the kids become more comfortable with performing. So a lot of times, you know, kids, especially in theater one class, they don't want to get in front of people, and so if you could get past that hurdle, you've you know done half your job right there for the entire year. And he's like, well, I just don't really see the point. And that wasn't long after he had replaced our initial principal. And I thought, oh, man, I'm in trouble. Um, and, and you know, it was. It was a struggle with him. And I think I ended up being at Roosevelt for, I want to say, eight or nine years. Um, and by that time, I was on principal number three. And um, it was just like every time I turned around, I felt like that, and anybody who's been teaching long enough will, you know, have experienced this at least once. I felt like that although I was being consistent and I was building this program and I was 100% there, I felt like I couldn't control that those outside elements, um, especially in bigger school districts where sometimes not only are you getting a new principal, but you're also getting new assistant principals. So all these people that you had a reputation with are now gone. And so it is like you're going to a new school. And um, that could be difficult if you are a fine arts teacher, um, you know, be, be it art, music, you name it. Um, it. It's, you know, it can be a struggle if you don't have at least one person in admin that has your back. And that was kind of rough. Um, but honestly, 
it was probably time for me to go. I, I've always had great respect and admiration for, um, you know, my peers who have been able to find a place and stay throughout their retirement. I, I have such admiration for that. I, I would have loved to have had that in my career, but it's not always possible. And I didn't want to be that person. And I advise people about this all the time. When you feel like that you are in an abusive relationship um, at your job, you're doing everything. It's probably time for you to go. Are you going to be that bitter theater teacher who gripes and gripes and gripes, but, you know, just is kind of miserable to be around? And I didn't want to be that person. So I've I've always tried to be very cognizant of when it may be time to move on. And I don't think there should be any shame in that, especially in this day and age, because I don't see how you would be serving anyone if you're not happy. You're not going to serve the kids. You know, you're not going to serve the community. I, I feel like or you're not obviously you're not going to help yourself. You're probably better off going in and say, you know what? Um, it's it's probably time to go. And it it's it was hard, you know. Uh, every time I have had to move on, you always leave kids, and you love those kids, and you keep saying, you know, hey, what if I stay one more year? Two, I'll stay till they graduate. But too often, you know, after many years of talking to teachers, I've always heard them say, yeah, I probably shouldn't have done that, because there's always going to be kids that you love, right? I mean, always. Um, so Roosevelt. Um, I had been talking to Natasha Tollison for many years. Uh, we had we had met. We talked about costume and different things. And um, she, you know, I knew that she had some middle school positions available. Now, I'm going from teaching high school to teaching middle school. And I had no experience. And the first year, oh, mercy. Okay. Woo, that was rough. Because that's a whole different, you know, that's a whole different type of teaching. Um, and, uh, it was rough. And then I started working in the summers through, uh, Teresa Raglan called me up. I'd met her through, you know, summer uh, theater workshops and, uh, Texas Educational Theater Association. She said, Hey, I got this gig. It's, um, teaching at the Angelina Arts Alliance, uh, children's theater camp. And, um, so I, I went there that first summer and, uh, that's where I met Barry Yandel. And at that time, Barry was still teaching, I believe, in Fort Worth. And, uh, you know, I was telling him about my struggles. I said, look, I, you know, I, I made this change from high school to middle school. I'm not doing really well. I am not connecting with these kids. I don't understand. I, I, everything I've ever done isn't working. You know, it was really easy to teach high school, I felt like. But it was hard. I felt like that I was spending a lot of times just doing discipline <laughs> in the classroom, right? And he he saw that I was struggling, said, look, Denise, first of all, um, you are teaching middle school. Uh, you are not uh, preparing kids for college. Uh, they're not going to major in theater. And one of the things is they're going to go into any class and they're going to sit there and they're going to have to hear people lecture to them and do their course subject. They don't want to come to theater to do that. So the first thing I would tell you to do is look at your your style of teaching. It needs to be fun. Middle school has to be fun because your goal is there is to hook them so that they'll want to do, you know, theater at the high school level. You're, you're serving your feeder school. Um, he said, play some music when they first come in. How many games are you playing? Like, you know, um, and also make sure that everything is very organized. You know, make sure you know exactly what you're doing. 
Um, and I thought about it, I said, man, you know, when uh, when I was teaching high school, because I've been teaching it for a while, I always kind of knew my lesson plans. And we didn't have to submit lesson plans at that that time. But I hadn't really looked at my middle school classroom the same way and like truly what it was I wanted to do with those kids and where I wanted to go. And I thought, okay, let's let's go back. Let's reset. And so I spent that summer after talking to him and, and he had a lot more advice. And like I said, it was kind of inspiring. Um, also, uh, you know, Teresa Raglan, you know, because she was still teaching middle school at that time. There were a lot of people there. And, you know, they were giving me all this information. I said, okay, let's go back. Let's do this again. My next three years at that middle school, it was Lamar Middle School, were fantastic. And it's because I recognized that I needed to go back and look what I look at what I was doing and how I was doing it. And, um, you know, that it's those wonderful people. And I, every time I see, you know, Barry and I talk, you know, quite often and we'll, we'll hang out at a convention. And I tell them every single time, I said, man, I don't know what I had done had I not met you at that summer camp. And, and we, we probably did that. I did that summer camp for six or seven years after that. And um, I think he did it for maybe two or three um, after we first met because he saved me. Um, I ended up loving teaching middle school. And I did that for a total of four years. Um, and about that time, I was starting to feel like I really wanted to go back to high school. It wasn't because I wasn't enjoying middle school. I missed uh, the uh, higher level of, of performance literature. I missed talking to actors. You know, I went from doing, because I was crazy, uh, the full stage version of Macbeth to now I'm doing, um, you know, Janice, the worst witch. And, you know, and it's like, uh, I think I, I want to go back to doing something that's a little more substantial. And uh, that's where I was because that's where my husband is employed. That's where we bought our house. All right. And that was also where my mother was living and my in-laws. So it wasn't really, so I would say stuck. I'll say it was the best place for us at that time. But I knew there weren't any jobs available. So I, I was in, you know, Lufkin doing the summer camp um, after my fourth year at Lamar. And Amy Medina, another dear friend, we both attended Texas State together. She calls me up and she says, hey, Denise, um, you know that they're looking for a theater teacher at Academy. I said, what? She said, yeah. She said, and you, you, you need to, you know, go ahead and get that application in now because I think it's been there for about, you know, three weeks. I said, oh, okay. So I, I said, well, all right. And I went ahead, went online, I applied. I said, well, you know, if nothing happens, I'm still okay at Lamar. I mean, I know how to work with the kids now and it'll be okay. But in my heart, I was like, oh, I really would like to make this change. And it, <laughs> I, I think it was maybe about 48 hours later, I get a phone call from Alex Rimshaw, who is a principal there. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, just looking at your resume. Uh, when can you come in? And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm in Lufkin right now and I don't finish my job for another week. So would you be willing? I know I'm asking a lot. Would you will be willing to wait? He's like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um, just, you know, as uh, soon as you get back in town, give me a call and we will set up a meeting. And I was like, okay. And I thought, oh, wow, this is gonna, you know, it's gonna fix everything. And so- Left Lufkin, um, went to that job interview, and uh, 
I I brought my portfolio with me. It was my it was all my costuming stuff and my scenery stuff. And I'm not really sure why I brought that with me. You really don't te- bring that to teaching interviews. I, I don't remember. I think I think I do. Maybe he had asked me because he saw it on my resume. He said, hey, and bring some of your costuming stuff. OK, OK, I'll bring it in. What the heck? You know, and I came in and I showed that stuff. And I mean, talking about 100 percent. I've never been I have never gone to a job interview where someone was that enthusiastic. And um, and he said, hey, so here's the deal. I want to give you this job. Um, and. I'm looking for someone who wants to build a theater program. You know, we've got a great athletic program. Um, We're getting better at our UIL academic. And they had this whole plan about trying to build that up. He said, but I'm tired of us not being successful at one act play. And he said, I'm not expecting you to to win. It's just that I want us to have good, solid shows. And I want us to have a good theater program because it's just what we lack. And, you know, we don't have the best facilities and everything. He said, but I'm going to tell you something about Academy. Once you start working here, people stay here their entire careers. Hearing that really appealed to me. And he was, like I said, so enthusiastic. I hadn't had that in a while, you know. Um, And he just, he was so genuine, okay. And I said, okay. So I walked out. They sent me to admin to start filling out paperwork that day. I'm like, okay, I got that job. And I, you know, I was so excited about it. And um that first year, okay, first semester, and I'm going to be really careful how I, so one of the things is when you go in behind someone, I've had this happen several times, okay? When you go in behind someone who maybe had a different way of doing things and not necessarily the, how do I put this without, (laughs) not necessarily the correct or the appropriate way of doing things um you can only go up all right i mean really it's it's true you can and so um went in and i found out that the kids well, were on their cell phones all the time first of all and i couldn't figure out when i first looked at the stage why there are all these sofas and chairs on stage i'm like what the heck's going on why are there so many sofas well because they were sleeping and hanging out and you know, and I was like, what is going on in this space? And I found out, well, you know, they would do shows, but they wouldn't necessarily always produce them. Um, and people kind of came there to hang out, if that makes sense. And so now things are starting to. So I spent my first semester um, basically having to do some house cleaning. Um because there were kids there who wanted to do theater, but there were a lot of kids there that were just hanging out and they were kind of allowed to. So first semester, I went from 23 students to 11 (laughs) after the second semester. And in fact, I lost two more, right? About two weeks before one act play. Um, And I thought, okay, um, let me go back to Alex, to my principal and how um, supportive he was. Uh, he called me in his office. This is that first semester. And apparently a parent had written him a letter. And in this letter, it basically was saying that I was unreasonable, um, that I expected things that were just, you know, beyond um, the students there that, you know, I, it was just basically, this was a very unhappy parent, right? And uh, so Mr. Rimshaw says, look, I'm going to let you read this letter. 
He said, but before I let you read this letter, because I because some of the kids were still in my program is the problem. And he wanted me to be aware. He said, the thing I want you to know is I've got your back. I know what you're trying to do. I 100% support you. This letter doesn't mean anything to me, but I want you to know it's here um, because I don't want you having a situation where this parent comes back at you. I want you to know what you're dealing with. I said, okay. Read it, and I thought, wow, okay. It was pretty pretty shocking. By the way, you can cut this if you want to. You know, don't necessarily have to. Uh, See, again, you know, your story. But I mean, but here's the thing. The thing that, that just went back, and that was that first semester, is that Alex Rimshaw had my back, and he was very supportive. Um, and then later, I also had um, the uh, superintendent, Kevin Sprinkles, and then um, the educational Did you just say sprinkles? Sprinkles? Sprinkles. I know. What a All great right. name. Huh? Anyway, continue. Yeah, I, he is the uh, he's the superintendent at Cameron now. Um, wow. So Misty DeCrube was the, I think she was the educational coordinator at that time. Eventually she became the assistant principal and then she became my principal. Um, and her sons were in my program. And they, from middle school on up to high school. And that's the thing. I forgot to tell you this part of the story. When I first interviewed, I thought Mr. Uh, Rimshaw told me, <laughs> I thought he was telling me I would just assist with high school. I mean, with middle school one act. I didn't realize until I'd already accepted the job that I would be doing middle school one act and high school one act. Yeah. And sometimes I was actually, it came to a point where, where I was doing fall show, I would go over and do middle school one act, and then I would come back over to the high school to work on fall show. So I was sometimes doing two shows at one time, which that's not unusual for most people. That We're always working on two or three things at one time. But I just remembered um, when I realized that uh, that I was doing, that I was going to be doing that middle school program as well. And, and I just had this moment where I thought, oh my goodness, what have I done? But hey, Guess what? I was a middle school teacher for four years. I had already done that. I was prepared now. Okay. So now I can do, remember, everything happens for a reason. I can do middle school and high school. And then I discovered that by being my own middle school feeder, I was actually going to serve my program even further. And I felt like it almost accelerated the growth of our program in a lot of ways. Um and I mean, because I was able to work with my kids, like for almost, if you get right down to it, I was working with some of those kids for six years, you know? So talking about develop a talent pool, it was amazing and the consistency and everything. Um, but anyway, so I have Alex Rimshaw, I have Missy DeCrub and uh, Kevin Sprinkles. First time I'd ever had a superintendent attend one act play contest was at Academy uh, Independent School District. And he came to, I think he witnessed one contest in the like what seven eight years I worked in that district, he attended every awards banquet. He came to every single show, and so did my principal, uh, Mr. Rimshaw, and so did uh, the assistant uh, principal. When we start, I guess it was the second year of doing one act there. Um, Mr. Rimshaw would drive the uh, trailer with the truck. Okay, with the furniture in it. And Mr. Crew would drive the bus. That's 3A school districts for you. Later on, when Mr. Rimshaw went from being my principal to the assistant superintendent, he was still driving 
the uh, truck and the trailer. And I never had that, you know, that kind of like, I mean, truly support, right? Um, and it was amazing. It was amazing, you know, seven years with those three people. Um, they were also my director two and three, so they could help me with that seven minute setup because I have a problem with um, too much scenery. It's an addiction. Um, I'm de- I've been dealing with it uh, lately, but I think I'm going back to too much furniture because I like it. Okay. I, hey, more is more and better, right? But um, so I would I was doing shows with doors, um, and you know I needed all the help I could get. Uh, but yeah, he used to do the caps because he was a former basketball coach. The man was over six feet tall. He's a big guy, so he would just be able to take that cap and just put it right on top of that you know pylon with no trouble at all. But yeah, and unfortunately things changed at Academy. Um, everyone left. Uh, you know we. Our superintendent ended up going to Cameron. My principal ended up becoming the assistant superintendent at Cameron. Um, the assistant superintendent ended up going, Mr. Remschel ended up going to, I think it was Shiner. And, you know, everybody, you know, they move on. Um, and I realized after they were gone and I was there for that year without them, I'm like, yeah, I think it's time for me to go too. And it just so happened that they were building a school in Belton ISD called Lake Belton High School, you know? And uh, applied for the job, and I got it. And then COVID happened, and uh, yeah, I that was rough. Um, rough also for my last year at Academy because we never got to perform our one act play. Um, I just remembered that I had this great one act play, and I was hoping that I was going to be able to sandwich everything in before leaving. And it was spring break. And next thing we know, I mean, I know some people were able to perform. We never did. We went to one clinic. I think Billy Dragoo um, was the only, you know, peer that got to see that show. He was our clinician. And um, that was it. And I just, ugh. And then we, you know, we turn into um, having to say goodbye to the kids online. That was rough way to, to I, I I will always look back at that last year at Academy and just go, man, what happened? I just, I hated that that happened that last year. I was hoping for a better closing. But, you know, when you leave someplace, I don't know if it's ever going to be easy. But that sure made it worse. Um, so, Lake Belton High School, new school, being opened in COVID. Uh, uh, we had this weird schedule. I don't know if you experienced this. You know, but uh, we had this hybrid schedule. It was insane. So I would have, <laughs> I would have classes where I'd only have, I'd have three people or five people online or fifteen. I'd have two people physically present in class. Then we were doing A B. So on some days you would have some of these kids on others, and it was just, it was painful. You're trying to build a program, and you're building a program at a brand new school, right? And you only have freshmen and sophomore. And uh, it was rough that first year. We still did theater. I mean, we did a play in that fall. Um, we started outdoors. Um, and we eventually moved indoors. Um, our lights, we had 273 lights that were never hung. And they were on stage because, okay, and I'll throw this. I don't, I'll say this. When I first started at um, Lake Belton, I look on the stage and I see all these lights on stage and the school's about to open. It's two weeks away. 
And I'm like, why are all these lights? Why haven't they hung up these lights? You know, because our area was one of the last places they were working on. And um, a, a lovely gentleman from Texas Scenic pulled me aside and he goes, because uh, I think he was a subcontractor. And he said, um, yeah, I don't know if you're aware, but um, we've been told by the contractor that uh, that you and your students will be hanging those lights. Apparently, this is something that's done now. I don't. OK, because the last brand new school that I was involved in, which was at Roosevelt, everything was done. Like lights were hung, all that. So I walked in a building and unpacked, right, and organized. So um, our we didn't get lights hung officially until February of that year because they had to actually hire Texas Scenic to come in to do it. You know, because apparently as you know, when you're in a school district where this is new. Okay. The last school they, they built was Belton, you know, Belton High, which was what, probably in the eighties or something. And so I guess it was just a really unusual situation. I've never been in. I just remember looking at all those lights on stage. Oh, and then our pipes busted. So you remember Snowmageddon, like the same, like not long after COVID. Yeah. Our pipes busted, flooded our pit, uh, went over the stage, went into the classrooms, um, and it's a good thing that the lights were, I had put most of the lights up. I'd put them like up out of the way and as far away as I could. So water wasn't on those. And um, I had flown all the curtains out uh, because they would have been in a pool of water. We had about, I'd say three or four feet of water just in the pit. And they had to go in. This is a school that was just built. They had to go in. It took forever to get that water out of there. It was like a swimming pool. I mean, seriously. Uh, they had to resurface everything. All the drywall had to be removed, the acoustical panels. They had to remove our stage floor and redo our stage floor. I mean, it's like that year, every time I turned around, there was something else that happened um, that year. And I'm sure people have worse stories. There were a lot of people at that time that had floods, from what I understand, pipes busting. Um, but it just seemed like, I thought to myself, Am I not supposed to be here? Because it just seems like every time I turn around that there's something else happening. But push through the pain and, you know, made it through that first year, established the Thespian uh, Club. Um, and that was a big deal to me as I wanted to continue that. Um, and then the next year, things were a little more normal. And they've gotten better ever since. Um, you know, it also helps that I have lights that are hung, but that also seems to be something that, you know, there's always seems to be something going on with the lights. New schools, man. I mean, they're wonderful. They're beautiful. But talking about, you know, little secrets you find out, you know, throughout the period that you're adjusting to them. Um, I still haven't figured out why they never ask theater people when they're building these things. Is, what is that about? That's that's you, a whole other topic. Yeah, I know. That yeah, could be even, like a whole other show. Even your dog's mad at it. I know. I know. <laughs> I hope I didn't just talk your, your no. Ear off. The the whole point of this podcast is for the person that I've asked to be on to share their story. So yeah. you you did exact you you uh, you get an A plus. So um, <laughs> yeah, the whole new school thing. That's a whole. That's that's a whole other topic. That's a whole other. Uh, you know, a long episode, but I think, I think like you kind of alluded to towards the end there about uh, why they didn't hang them, you know, a, it could have been the previous, like, so a director in the district. So maybe the Belton director 
recommended they not hang them or something. You oh, know? Melissa would never do that. Well, <laughs> no, oh, that's right. No. It's Melissa at Belt. Yeah, okay, yeah, she yeah, would yeah. never recommend that. Yeah, you're right. That's a good point. Yeah. But, um, well, it, it, I don't know what it could have been, but... Uh, <laughs> You know, for me as a lighting person, I would have preferred them on the ground, but that's my own preference, you know, because then, because I can put them wherever I want. But anyway, that's a whole nother, again, like we said. (laughs) So you, you touched on a lot of things that kind of resonated with me. Uh, And you don't have to reply to all these, but I will say that it is a hot topic in our house about, because my wife left education this past year because of what you said about. Uh, your first year in middle school about doing discipline. Um, And that's pretty much all, you know, she was at a middle school in Fort Bend for a long time, but it was a a middle school that didn't have a lot of discipline issues. Um, And maybe it did, but the issues that she had were issues that she could manage. But then when she left that school and went to another one, uh, it was discipline issues that were different. And so Mm -hmm. it is a total, middle school is a totally different world. So I'm glad I'm not a part of it. Um, and I don't know if we give people enough credit who choose to teach middle yeah. school because that's a hard job. Yeah. You know, it you've you're dealing with kids at a point in their life where they still they're still babies. You right. know, there's that lack of maturity and and you know, they just they just need a little more care. And, right. you know, you have to be willing to do that. And that's hard for some people. You know, they that may not be what they had in mind. They want to teach theater. They yeah. don't want to necessarily be mama or daddy. I talked to somebody not too long ago that, that swears that they were meant for middle school. And I'm like, man, you are, <laughs> something's wrong with you. But a couple screws loose. Uh, so also the relationship with the superintendent. So I, I had a really good one. Uh, and I still, to this day, actually, am, am good friends with my He's now the former superintendent of Fort Bend, and obviously I'm not at Fort Bend anymore. But uh, we've we've been close, and I I think that that's like a huge, you know, he was the superintendent for 80 plus schools. You know, it's a large district; it's not a small place. Which I get the difference between a 3A, 2A, 1A type thing, where sometimes the superintendent could also be the one act play director. Um, yeah. But uh, I always encourage people to like. Get to know the admins that are making these decisions because the people that are making those decisions will start to include you uh, in some of those decisions that are uh, maybe angered you, which then leads me to another thing that you said <laughs> um, about about kind of uh, understanding when it's time to leave yeah. so that you don't become the the kind of bitter you said old, I think, but I don't, I'm not going to put that, (laughs) I'm not going to say that, but (laughs) you become the, the bitter veteran that Mm -hmm. is constantly looking for greener pastors, but doesn't ever go out the door to get the greener pastor, Mm -hmm. you know, is looking from inside a window. Um, and so I commend you for that because one of the things I was told when I was a, a wee little lad was, uh, I, I quit my job with straight no chaser kind of early on, because I just knew it was time to be done with that chapter of my life. And the road manager at the time, Richard Corby, uh, who I adore, said, I, I'm really proud of somebody your age understanding that you got to cut bait. It's time to move on. You know, and, and so um, anyway, I just thought I'd share that with you, that good for you being self-aware. It's hard to do that, though. Yeah. I mean, it really is because you... Yeah, it's guilt. I don't know what it is about 
I don't know if that's just something that as teachers, I feel like that when you choose to go into teaching, first of all, you probably had some really great teachers, right? Um, secondly, you obviously want to share this passion you have for your subject, you know? Um, and you're like, for me, my, my hope was always that maybe, and I still have this philosophy that, and cause I've had kids where I believe that this is what kept them in school. Um, this is maybe what kept them from being depressed and as an unhappy because sometimes their family lives weren't really that great, you know, and to have this as an outlet and a place to go and something to do and where you feel valued because we don't always feel valued right. um, and feel important, you know, and suddenly you, you're able to discover you can, you can build, build scenery and you can sew costumes and you can operate lights and all those things, which, you know, I'm not saying that everyone we're preparing is going off for a career in this, but you know, the fact is the kids learn to work with one another they learn about collaboration, which they're going to use on, you know, in every single uh, career problem solving. Um, you know, you're giving them a little bit of, of art appreciation, hopefully more than a little bit. But, you know, I, I can't imagine that um, that they're not able to use this somewhere in their lives. And when I was working in San Antonio, I had I had kids who told me that if they went home, it was not, you know, a place they wanted to be and they would rather be at rehearsal and they would. And I was OK with, you know, that being the case. You know, we we would have rehearsal and, you know, if they felt like talking, they would talk. Um, but, I you know, being a kid who had my own, you know, issues with depression and then anxiety, I got that. I understood that, um, you know, that for me. And and maybe this isn't exactly the healthiest attitude to have about escapism, but this idea of creating these worlds, you know, reading these plays and 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 time traveling essentially, you know, um, I found comfort in that. Um, and I don't think there's anything wrong with every once in a while not wanting to deal with reality. I, I think it's okay. That's why I watch movies sometimes. Yeah. Okay, it's I don't want to deal with the fact that I've got oh I don't know. Floors to mop. I would yeah. rather find out, uh, you know, some uh, solve a mystery, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, travel to distant lands and go on a treasure hunt. That's more fun to me. I don't want to mop the floors. That that's you know simplification there. Yeah, uh, I, there are bigger problems, but you know, but I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I like that creating worlds of fantasy. It's fun, frustrating sometimes, but fun. I mopped the floors this morning, so I get it. Uh, that's actually very true. <laughs> you got to do it. My mother-in-law's coming to town, so I got to make it look like we've been cleaning uh, around here, you know? Uh, yeah, same way with me. I'm, I'm trying to figure out what, what day this week I'm actually going to clean the house because I have a one-act play to cut. <laughs> yeah, I don't have to deal with that anymore, so that's uh, – yeah, that's kind of a joy, but uh, <laughs> not having to cut the one act play, not necessarily producing it, but the cutting yeah. is rather intense. So I, I got to ask, uh, kind of, you, you you mentioned this at the beginning that uh, a fact that not a lot of people know about you that you left school, um, yeah. you know, when you were younger, and how how do you think that that now, and you've you've had years with students that yeah, uh, you could probably think back to 
uh, quite a number of kids. But how do you think that that has helped shape you when a student comes to you? Because we're not we're not only their theater teacher most of the time. We're also their kind of life coach, if you will, and just an advice board, sounding board for them. So how do you think that side of you, whether you've told that side to your students or not, mm-hmm. how has that kind of shaped you in giving advice and making sure that you encourage the kids to, it's okay, just push through, you know, it'll, it'll yeah. be fine. Uh, I have, I have uh, probably shared that information with a couple of kids who were considering quitting school. But here's what I found. And it was the same thing. Here's the thing you got to remember. And, and as you get older, it's really hard to keep this in perspective. But I I really try to keep in my mind the way I was at 16. I had plenty of people telling me that I was making a mistake, including my grandparents, my mom, uh, my stepdad, my theater teacher, my English teacher. Uh, I had plenty of people telling me that I was not making a good choice, but I had to, I had to fail if that makes sense. And this is the, this is the reality. It would be great if our terrible experience could be, um, you know, I guess the cure all for everyone else and they could avoid all the pain, but it doesn't work that way. Sometimes you just have to fall. That's the way it was for me. I had to make this mistake, which is, I say it's a mistake. I I have a beautiful son who I love dearly. He is the light of my life. But I had to see that um, I had to learn my lesson. And and here's the other thing is that sometimes in learning that lesson, it toughened me up. I could not have been a single parent. I could not have, you know, started college. Because I had the I had the determination. I said, okay, here's the deal. Now it's just me. And I gotta make sure my kid is taken care of. And so I better, you know, straighten up and fly right. I was going to have to work harder because I had a kid. Um, I was going to have to, it's gonna be twice as hard for me. And in fact, um, you know, that first year, uh, that first year, um, you know, I I wasn't with my son. Um, I was at Beeville. I lived in a dorm. So my mother and my grandmother, my grandfather were taking care of my son. I would only get to see him. You know, I think I got to see him on Christmas that year uh, because I was only there for one year. Um, And then I ended up going to MCC. And then that that second year is when I met my second husband. Okay. I don't want you to think that I, my second husband and I have been married for over 30 something years. Okay. So don't just think that, you know, my first couple no of years, judgment, you know, yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, and then we had a daughter, uh, but I mean, I had to, um, I had to learn that lesson again. I would love to tell you that, you know, our terrible experience could like, you know, it just doesn't work that way for most young people because when you're young and I know you remember feeling this way, man, you have all the answers. You know everything and no one else can tell you anything and they don't, you know, we're old. What do we know? <laughs> you know, we, it's like, we have, we don't, you know, I remember telling my mom, oh, but mom, I'm in love. And she goes, oh my God. You know, and it was true. It's like, ah, oh, the worst thing you can hear. I'm in love. Oh, how many times have people like done crazy things on the name of love, you know, but I would, I, I begin, I, I advise, I try to be very careful when I do give kids advice about their lives. I try to give them practical advice. I don't want to use me as an example because I don't know if that's necessarily going to help them because their experience is different. And then it's a different time too. 
you know? Um, so what I try to do is I try to say, okay, look, I had a kid recently who said, I don't know if I want to go to school. I don't want to go to college. I want to wait a year. And I was like, look, I don't, I know that you have your reasons, but here's what I'm telling you. The longer you wait, especially when you have to start earning a living and paying bills, the harder it is to go back to school. So if this is something that's really, really important to you is getting this college degree, then look at your community college, look at a way that you could do it. And maybe it's only part time, you know, but there are, you know, you have Pell Grant, student loans, there are things available to you. And I'm not a proponent for people taking out student loans since I'm still paying for mine, you know, and I try to figure out ways to, you know, get, give kids, you know, opportunities like, you know, thespians and everything and, and, you know, reaching out to colleges. But I don't want to be the older person that's just like wagging my finger and hey, you don't, no, 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 no. Let's, let's try to figure out a way that we can put that information in context. So they're not putting that wall up because as soon as you start sitting there and saying, you know, sounding like their parents, I guess. And it's not that I'm, I don't think there's anything wrong with, because I've had, I've had parents who were the ones telling their kids that they should take a year off, which I don't know what's going on in that family. I don't want to judge. Um, I just know that the longer you wait, the harder it is to get back to school. And and the other thing that I always advise kids about is like, hey, I know they're, it's really exciting, this idea of going out of state to attend college. But if you don't have you know, the resources, if you do not have the financial aid, um, if you don't think you can pay for it, you may want to go in and do all your undergrad here where it's still cheaper, you know, but that doesn't always go over real well because they want to, they want to get away. I think is really what it comes down to. They want to get as far away as they can. And I think it's an adventure and I, I get the adventure idea. I just always keep thinking about the debt, but that's me. Cause you know, you know, I'm I'm in my um, you know mid fifties, and of course, I'm worried about debt. You know, uh, they don't think about those kinds of things. But I mean, but as far as using my own experience, probably not in that way. And sometimes I for, I know it sounds really crazy, but sometimes I forget I made all those crazy mistakes, or maybe I just want to forget. Minor wisdom.